of the iHeartMedia Complex on WTKS-FM, HD1, Coco Beach, Orlando. Available anywhere you go on the iHeartRadio app. Download it now. Groundbreaking. Critically acclaimed. And now, The Phillips File. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Yeah, it is. Hello there. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome. It is the Phillips File for Wednesday. That's Wednesday, June 6th uh, in the year 2018. Good afternoon, everybody. We get a little bit serious in the first 30 minutes of these shows on Wednesday. Today marks interview number 13 as the Phillips File takes the first 30 minutes of every Wednesday program to focus on the heroin and opioid crisis here in Central Florida. Graham is our guest this afternoon for a half hour or so welcome graham thanks for helping us out with this uh, with this project we appreciate it very much absolutely thank you for having Can we me. just uh, start right off the bat would you uh, describe yourself as re- you're in recovery would that be correct that is fair to say can you give us some kind of background sure of, absolutely of where you started and where you are right now absolutely uh i'm from Connecticut. i'm from new england originally okay uh tomorrow's my birthday actually. happy birthday thank you. Yeah. thank you very much 39 years old and uh, oh, you bro- haven't seen nothing yet. <laughs> I'm telling you, you can tell by these wrinkles around my eyes. You haven't seen anything no, yet. For those of you happy seen, birthday! You look fantastic. <laughs> uh, so, uh, born and raised in New England, yeah. um, came from a what I would what I would call a, a pretty dysfunctional family, right. and uh, but was, Don't we all? <sighs> yeah, it's uh, functional or dysfunctional. It's uh, dysfunctional as far as D- uh, divorce. Divorced family. Uh, my family got my parents got divorced in, in uh, when I was nine years old. Okay. And so mom went, uh, mom turned left and dad went right. And I kind of tried to toe the middle line Mm -hmm. and played sports my whole life. Loved it. The only place I really felt comfortable was on the athletic field. It's just being around guys or girls. It doesn't even really so much matter as just not being in my home. Playing the sport. You're playing a game. (laughs) Playing a sport, playing a game, trying to, yeah, trying to win a game, whatever, whatever it was. That was where I really felt fed and felt most at ease. Mm -hmm. And... Then I had an accident. I broke my collarbone playing football in high school. I went to high school. I went, excuse me. I went to high school in New Jersey. Right. Played football. Didn't even make it to through fall train. Uh, you know, kind of fall practice and, and because broke, of the injury. Because of the injury. And so I had an incredible amount of time on my hands and uh, was introduced to a, a wonderful drug at that moment called cocaine. Mm-hmm. Oh. And, <laughs> yeah. And just from the moment I took it, it was. Uh, it just. I felt fed. I felt it was that ease and comfort that I never felt in my entire life. I and know the feeling. I, you know the feeling. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not quite as. Maybe I didn't have as much of a feeling as you did. Sure. But sure. anybody who's listened to the program, there were a couple of years there. Of, sure. You know, you, and you know the story. I do, and was it, and you probably had a governor where you knew maybe where to turn it off. And I kept going. There was yeah, it was it was lack of money. That was the governor. <laughs> Well, you, that's when you need to start stealing. Yeah, well, I never got that far. So, so you, you get into the cocaine thing, and how how serious was that? That was uh, serious to the point that I crash and burn really quick. I have a very low tolerance. Uh, I am failing out of high school at this point. Wow. No college wants me. Crash and burn it, and we're talking months. 
We're talking months. Three, were you thinking when you're in high school and you're playing sports, uh, despite the 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 collarbone uh, collarbone injury, that hey, I'm headed for a scholarship. I'm playing baseball or I'm playing football. I'm an athlete. I've got this. I've got this worked out. I mean, do you think? At that time, you're on that kind of a track. I, well, I don't think at the collegiate, maybe a Division three. I was, you know, what we see for sports down here in Florida, and you know, out of Central Florida, out of Miami, wherever you're, it's it, incredible. And it, sure, we had great sports in New Jersey, but not quite to that extent. Maybe a Division three. Yeah, school. okay, all right. But once I found cocaine, I, I could have cared less. <laughs> no could have cared less yeah. about college. Yeah. Could have cared less about sports. Could have cared less about anything else. It was just getting that next fix, and and I crashed and burned. To the point at which I was down to 165 pounds, I'm 225 right now. And how tall are you? Six foot three. That's that's skinny. It's very skinny. And thought I looked great. And mind you, uh, in those few in those few months, uh, attempted suicide twice. Not because I wanted to die, but because I didn't know what was wrong with me, and I just didn't want to feel anymore the way that I had been feeling. How long was this going on? Well, I think I had a lot of, you know, mental health issues probably going back through my childhood. And, and I don't say that to, I'm a parent now. And right. so I, I have, I have uh, perspective to realize that my mom and dad, if any of you have a parental playbook, if you can send that to me, <laughs> so I know what the heck I'm right, doing. Right. But I think they just did the best job they could. And, and so I don't blame them for this. It's just a reality of what my situation was, is I came from a very broken home. And uh, it was screwed up, and I didn't know how to handle it. And so I just did yeah, I just didn't want to feel anymore. And so you're 17, 18, 18, you're on, 18 you're, years you're old. You're on the cocaine thing? Was it every single day? Every single day. I was stealing money from every single one of my friends, and I was taking a New Jersey Transit straight into Penn Station, where I would call. This is like beeper days. This right. is not cell phone. Exactly. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. I, would, I would page my, my, my drug dealer, and he would meet me at, Grant, at uh, Penn Station. And then I would catch the next train back to Princeton Junction and take a taxi back to school. This was every single day. I would. Oh, well, you got uh, enough to get about, you through every day. Yeah, it was about three, probably three times a week. Three so times you come week. from a dysfunctional family. You hit, start hitting the cocaine. You got this collarbone injury. You crash and burn with the cocaine. Did you? I hate to use the word, but progress or move on to something else? It was, was it always cocaine? It was always cocaine in the beginning, and then with. Dabbling a little in a little alcohol, a little weed every once in a while, but uh, that was my uh, that was my go to, and um, I ended up getting some. They intervened on me. My family intervened on me, and and the school did. This and, is your dysfunctional family that yeah, intervened yeah, when, with in help. You know, with the help of my high school, they came to me, yeah. and it was the first. I'll tell you, it's the first time in my life when they approached me and they wanted to try to get me help. It was the first time I said, you know what, I need help. I'll tell you, up until that point, I never could have asked anybody for anything. Mm -hmm. But kind of, I had this moment of clarity where I realized I can't keep doing this. Was it an intervention, though, where a group of people, whether friends, high school people said, this kid needs help and we're going to confront him? So I walked into, very very close to that, I walked into the infirmary where I was at school Mm -hmm. and... Uh, my mother was living in Connecticut at the time. Mind you, I'm at, I'm at high school in New right, Jersey, right, two-hour distance, and I walk into the infirmary thinking I'm meeting with the doctor, and my mother's in the room. Uh-oh. Did you know? <laughs> That's what you must or have thought. Or were you going, oh, yeah. Ma, what are you doing? No, no, no. I knew the gig was up. I absolutely, it was, I had this, it's, I, I believe there is a God out there for the moment because it's like the, 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 the sea parted, and I could actually think clearly and realize 
All right, the gig's up, and I'm okay with it. I'm Did your mom peace. know something was... She had no idea. She had, didn't have a clue. So somebody went to your mom and said, guess what? Graham's got a problem. Big Did time. she I go, think that's, I, I don't s- believe it? Or You know, it's interesting. I, I, my mother had maybe smoked a cigarette or two in her life yeah. and maybe had a buzz, you know, senior week in college. Right. <laughs> it's probably the extent of her use. Straight arrow. Absolutely. And so she... I think she was working with the tools that she had. Did she know? I I think it was pretty obvious at that point when the facts were presented to her that, hey, my son has a problem. What did your mom say late? Is your mom still alive? She is. Uh, I mean, in hindsight, did she say I was naive or... uh, I didn't want to see it. And I I just was in denial. In hindsight, did she say, yeah, I knew something was going on, but I never, you know, never put two and two together? I, I think it's probably, I can't speak for her mm-hmm. in, in that. Unfortunately, I do not have a close relationship with my mother, but I I think she woulda, coulda, shoulda. I think hindsight is always twenty twenty, yeah, and uh, for those parents out there, you just she just did the you best. No. You have no idea. Right. I mean, it's like if you asked me, you know, uh, about the radio business, I, I would I would have the slightest idea how this works. You stuck a microphone in front of me, and that's about the extent of. I've been doing it for fifty years, and I ha- I have no idea how it works <laughs> either. I mean, I still don't have a clue. But a lot of the listeners. Well, you must be doing something, something. So you're right. going to a rehab program? Do you, mm-hmm. you just say, "Okay, here I am. I know I have a problem. I've been confronted. I've got this real bad problem with cocaine." You go into what kind of rehab was it? I, I went to fortunately because my my. Family had good insurance, and, and there was a good yeah. intervention. And yeah. someone looking after my family, I was placed into a very good facility to no doing of my own. Um, was very fortunate in that respect. And I ended up staying. I thought I was – here's the funny thing. It was February of 1998. I thought I was going to go to a 30-day program and go back to my high school because senior spring break was in Cancun, Mexico. Yeah. Oh, nice. Uh-oh. So I thought I'd go to rehab for 30 days, and then I'd come straight home, and my parents would – Throw me down to Mexico for <clears throat> for a week. Mm. That I, delusional, completely. But I mean, were you thinking, hey, I'm just going to do this 30 day <laughs> yeah. thing, and then I'm hitting Cancun, man, and it's, all, it's <laughs> that's what he's thinking. Yeah, it's balls oh, yeah. to the yeah. wall. Yeah. You know, there's going to be 20 lines in front of me, and <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, it goes on at, at plenty south of the border, and and I. So yes, I I was completely delusional. I thought that was going to happen. I ended up staying in Minnesota in a program for six straight months, Oof. and it saved it saved it saved my life and shaped me, put the pieces in place, uh, created a foundation to make me the I think a lot of the man I am today. Yeah, I have to break. I have yeah, to please, break for, but, please, but, please. But were you there because you wanted to stay there, or people say you can't leave yet? I was you're not, not. You're not ready to get back into let's call it society you're not ready to mingle back in there because we know exactly what's going to happen sure. what was the what? i still think sometimes i don't i don't know if i belong in society no but joking aside i, I think i needed uh, i know i needed help i could have left i was an adult right but i stayed because i knew it was the right thing to do all right we're going to talk more with graham when we come back phillips file of uh on every wednesday we take about 30 minutes sometimes 40 minutes sometimes longer to focus on the heroin and opioid crisis here in Central Florida. We'll be back. It's the Phillips File on Real Radio 104.1. Phillips File for a uh, Wednesday. Wednesday. And, it is Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday for the first 30 minutes or so, and I think we're going to extend this a little, fur- a little bit further. We focus on the heroin and opioid crisis here in Central Florida. Our guest today is Graham. Let me just backtrack a little bit. Graham, uh, growing up in Connecticut, New Jersey as well, uh, had a collarbone injury, you know, played baseball, football, all that kind of stuff. But he starts hitting the cocaine. 
And for how many years? A couple of years were you doing this? No, I, mean, I didn't even last that long. Less, less than a year, I crashed and burned. So very you're going fast. to rehab. You're in rehab for six months, right? Yes, sir. They think, they, you know, your, your mother's there, your friends, I guess people at the school. Graham needs help. You agree. You think you're going in for 30 days. You're going in for six months. You stay <laughs> for six months because somebody said, you got to stay here for six months. Or you said to yourself, I need more time here. I need more time. I went into a sober living house for three months, right? And I washed dishes at an Italian restaurant uh, in a suburb of Minneapolis, and it was the one of the greatest jobs of my life. Why? Because sit- you see the tasks done. I'm on my own. I'm living with a bunch of guys who are sober. Uh, I'm making a living. Granted, I, I started off washing dishes. Didn't matter. I'm living in. If any of you have been out to Minnesota, I'm on Wyzetta, Minnesota, which is like a suburb, of, like it's like like, a, like Winter Park, Florida. Yeah, right. And I'm on my own, and I'm sober, and I'm, and I'm feeling as good as I've ever felt my entire life. So six months, finally they say, Graham, you're good to go. And you're saying to yourself, I'm good to go as well. And you go Was home. there a relapse? <laughs> yeah. I made, it, I made it about 24 hours. What? You relapsed within 24 hours after six months of rehab. With a, in a safe environment, what? yes. And... Less, maybe less than 24 hours. Why do you think that happened? After six months of rehab work and working so hard. Feeling so good. And I st- are you trying to prove of- something to yourself, maybe? I, or sh- I can do poss- this, but I think stop? A, yeah, great question. I think it was a couple things. One is I wanted to be convinced that I could control mm-hmm. my use. And I thought that with enough self-knowledge that I wouldn't end up back in that situation. And I can tell you that when I called... I'll never forget. I, I I got a hold of my my drug dealer, and he said his first words to me was, "I thought you were dead," and and I never I I laughed at what he said. I thought it was funny, and within the first line of cocaine that I took, having been away from it for six months, yeah, I felt as bad, if not worse, than the day I went into to treatment. Really, within within seconds, I was immediately back to. Yep. Uh, the depressive side, and absolutely miserable. It, it, there was nothing enjoyable about what I'd done. But this is a relapse of just 24 hours, just one single relapse, and then you said, I okay. bought an eight ball. I had, I had a little less than $200. I bought an eight ball of cocaine. I finished it, and I have not touched it since. So your life progresses pretty well. Everything's hunky dory. I, I would say so. I go back to college. I, I went to uh, school locally here. I went to went to Rollins went College. To Rollins, yeah. And then what? The banking industry in New went York. Went into investment banking in New York City. Everything is is cool. That's that's a high pressure industry. I would imagine you're around a lot of, you know, men and women who are hard chargers. I would imagine you're around all these uh, temptations. Sure, sure. And but you're still saying it's okay. I can party with you, but I don't need that. I've known people like that. But something happened. Something I, yes, I I I believe that the the reason I stayed sober was I always looked for for any of you out there that maybe that may be struggling yeah I always looked for peace and happiness in a bag of cocaine in pills in the bottom of a bottle of vodka always trying to find peace and comfort in that in mm-hmm. that bottle if I don't find that in sobriety I will drink and use again. But I got a chance, thanks to a great support system, good treatment, going to Alcoholics Anonymous, having very supportive people around me, sobriety became the greatest show on earth. Where, why in, why in the world would I ever want to use again? I, I had no, no need, no reason to. I was happy as can be. But, Every, but 10 years after that, that 24-hour relapse, sure. 
Something else happened. My father, who was my Superman, yeah. has a nervous breakdown. Okay. And is and and please, in saying this, I am not blaming my father. I understand. Once once again, he was working with the tools that he had. I understand. I didn't know how to help him. I didn't know how to cope with my Superman crashing. And if any of you have been to the Winter Park area on Corinne Drive and Winter Park Road, there's Stardust Coffee. Yes. I know where it is. And you right know around it's the right, corner. right around the corner. And at that traffic light, Wait, I had convinced... there's an ABC on the other side. <laughs> yes, there is. And at that traffic light, I'd convinced myself that I was going to Stardust for a cup of coffee. And when I made that turn at that traffic light in a matter of 100 feet, I decided I was going to turn right instead of left. And I went into ABC and bought a bottle of vodka. Just like that. Just in a, in a, in a, in a momentary flash. Because I didn't, want to, I didn't want to feel. I didn't know how to cope. And I just wanted the pain and suffering that I was going through to go away. And that's what vodka, pills, cocaine, I don't, any sort of substance that you're abusing, right. it, it works wonders. Oh, you're shielding yourself from oh. something. You're shielding yourself from heartbreak or just pressure or, or, or whatever it might be. Right. So you started on pills as well. Started on pills. Pills and vodka were my cocktail, and they worked beautifully. For a long period of time. How'd you get the pills? I mean, they weren't prescribed. <laughs> they were not prescribed. Never saw a doctor. Didn't have insurance. Never went to a doctor. Uh, I started, um, out of the gates, immediately started stealing from friends. Where they trusted me. They knew me as the sober guy. Mm -hmm. Right. So they never in a million years would have thought that I would ever take right. anything from them. Not a Corona out of their fridge or a pill out of their medicine cabinet. <laughs> so pill wise, what were you doing? It was oxy, it oxy's. Was, yep, and, oxy's. And this is two thousand. This is two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Right. And yep. you're doing how many a day, or what do you need? I to, couldn't even. T I, you I know how much money you were spending to get these pills? I was. I just not a, not a not a dime. I was stealing them. You're stealing, stealing them. Okay, yeah. got you. Yep. From friends' medicine cabinet. Right. Friends' medicine cabinet. And um, yeah. So it was it was quite easy. They lived right around the corner from me. I knew I could drive by their house and knew if they were home or not, and had a key to their house. So it was, you know, if you have a, a parent or a relative or anyone, yeah. all of you know, I, I was laughing earlier in the show about breaking into a medicine cabinet. You don't break into a medicine cabinet. It's, it's wide open. You just, you just open the door. Yeah. And that's exactly what I did. And how long did this go on? Once again, I crashed. People have thresholds a lot longer than me. People go on years doing this. Yes. For, for me, We've talked to some, yeah. Mm -hmm. For me, I have, and I want to be clear, everybody's road is very different. Sure. And for any of you that are out there, you can stop digging whenever you want to stop digging. And, and you don't ever have to, however you're feeling right now in this moment, you don't, and for someone who's been through this multiple times, you don't ever, ever have to feel this way again. Because I never lost a job. I've never been in trouble with the law. I graduated, not with honors, but pretty close to it. I've had, I think, as an individual, I think I've had a pretty decent career. Never lost any on the outsides. The outsides look great. Sure. The insides, I'm an absolute mess, and wish I wasn't on this earth anymore. So you're doing you're doing the vodka. You're stealing the pills, and this goes on for how long? And and what? Probably a couple, a year and a half, two years. Was there another intervention? Was your mother again involved, or was it you just wake up one day and say I can't do this anymore? So were you married? At, you weren't married. Weren't, at the time. weren't married at the time. I was. Uh, I can't remember if I was dating anyone at the time or not. I, I wasn't exactly a catch. Something happened. You said this is uh, here we go <laughs> again. Emotional wreck. Here yes. we go again, <laughs> Graham. Let's it's get a, a handle on this, buddy. So what's what's pretty neat about 
Alcoholics Anonymous, or if you've seen anyone, and I don't care if it's if, if it's through the church, if it's through AA, if it's through a great psychiatrist and, and properly prescribed medicine, if you've ever seen someone go from the doldrums of their life, whether they've lost a loved one, whatever their challenge may be, they've, they've, they're living on the streets, I don't care what it is, and you see that person get better, that is an incredible motivator mm-hmm. to realize, hey, and not at their expense, but hey, if you can do it, I know damn well that I can do it. And someone, I was going to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous at the time, and a gentleman who was... Oh, but go were you going to AA when you were drinking and I, taking pills? I mean, was it that, geez, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm going here, I'm trying to get support, you get out of AA. The old line, the old joke from AA is people go to AA so they can find out where the best drinks in town are. Of course. You'll find that so, pretty quick. Yeah, I'm just wondering whether... Yeah, I went, how to, you I went decide? to Sunday Mass. I okay. went to Catholic. I went back to Catholic Church because I thought that that was going to help me. I started reading. Any of you out there, you probably have bought a hundred books on Amazon, self help books, sure. that are doing nothing but collecting dust on <laughs> in your library. No disrespect. Yeah, I understand. But if you read those sort of things, you have to put them into practice. And if you're drinking a fifth of bourbon a day and taking pills, you're, you're probably not. You're probably not picking that off your. And you're still you're working at this time. Still working, yes. Owning a, owning a business with a couple so you're of buddies. So a functioning addict. I would think so. I would think so. Did anybody, when you were working, say, you know, not, not for nothing, Graham, but what's going on here? No. I, n- nobody, nobody ever did. Nobody and not noticed. because they didn't love me or because they didn't care. Maybe I was a good actor. I don't think I really was. Um, but I, well, I, I'll say this. A good actor in respect to, I think I can put on a good false front. And let everybody know that I'm good. I'm good. Don't worry about me. I'm remember I'm this sober guy that got clean at 19 years old. Me, meanwhile, it's it's all a lie. It's a house of cards, is yeah. what it is. And so I saw other people around me get better. And not that that's that's just my story. It's not everybody's story. And so I got pissed because I saw them succeeding, and I wanted that success. I wanted to feel. I wanted that insides to match my outsides and, and feel good. Well, it might be a little bit of that competitive spirit you have. I mean, if you're <laughs> yeah. always involved oh, in yeah. athletics, yeah. you want to win. You don't want to be, whether it's, you think somebody's going to consider you to be a loser or within yourself, you say, I don't want to be a loser here. I'm going to win this. I'm getting, you know, yes, I'm and that's number and, one and, here. And for me, there's, God rest his soul, there's a gentleman who, was, who helped save my life. His name was Angel. He was a Lynx bus driver. And he always used to say, it doesn't matter if you live on Park Avenue or you're sleeping on a park bench is you can you can get better and you can feel better if if you if you want to get better. And um and that man kind of set the stage in terms of well I can do this. I can I can get help and I can get back to where I was before. So are you utilizing what? AA are you utilizing any other recovery group to to get you through this? I am just utilizing AA at this yeah. point and uh I detox because I did not have health insurance at this time and I Correct. don't recommend this to anyone because there's plenty of there's plenty of local services that are available, and what I would recommend is calling your county health services and seeing whether you have insurance or you don't, just reaching out online to, to find it, whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous or any, um, uh, any county services, they can, they can direct They'll you. They'll point you. Yeah. They'll point you in the right direction, mm-hmm. and, and, and services are out there, but all, you just got to ask. You've been clean and sober how long now? It's uh, seven and a half years. Every day a struggle? No. 
No problem at all. No temptations. Well, I mean, I'd be cocky if I told you that no day was a struggle. Just a you know fleeting whatever. Sure, I, no, I, I know. Yeah, every once you 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 go to Seven Eleven and you see some like pumpkin beer that they now have, and you're like, ooh, sounds didn't, yummy. Didn't get a chance to have a you know pumpkin brew. I wonder what that's like. Or some you know they're making vodka. <laughs> you have a, any problems? Uh, you know, if you go to a party or anything, do you have to stay away from situations where they're is a lot of alcohol. Great question. For me... Uh, I'm not crazy about being around those... Well, I'm not crazy about being around any social situation. <laughs> sure. I mean, to be honest with you. Here's, 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 here's the neat not, thing. But, is Early on in sobriety, everything was squirrely. Going to Publix was a squirrely experience. Going into 7-Eleven, I, I was still smoking at the time. Buying a pack of cigarettes was, don't look at that beer aisle. Uh, don't look at ABC as you're driving, as you're driving mm-hmm. by it. And, and now you can get booze delivered to, to your house. So, you know, in, in under an hour. But... I do believe that if you get proper help, I can today, and this is to no doing of my own other than a little bit of hard work, is I can go anywhere and do anything. And here's the neat thing. When you're not doing drugs and you're staying sober, you save up some money. Mm-hmm. You're employable, which means I have a car and I have a driver's license. Right. So if I go anywhere where I don't like the situation, I can leave. Right. And for those that maybe don't, get an Uber. Get out of the situation. And so I'm fortunate in that respect that every day uh, I, I don't think much about it. Are you, are you still involved in the financial industry, or are you involved in the recovery industry, or, or I, I was in, I, I'm involved in the recovery industry today, and that took me 20 years after I first got sober to get into it. Mm-hmm. And it's probably the most difficult job because I'm on the front lines of people who are really struggling but it's equally the most gratifying job because it's something that's near and dear to my heart. Do you have kids? I have two. I have a th- almost a three-year-old uh, boy named Henry, and my wife and I have a three-month-old girl named Nina. Congratulations. Thank you very much. You've got much. a birthday tomorrow, the whole thing. Oh, You've yeah. got a great attitude, too. I mean, was <laughs> I mean, it's a positive attitude. We can pick up on that, but is, is have you always been this way, or no. is it just, I got no, this behind I, I, me, I, I recovered from this? I'm in the pro- continuing process of, you know, recovery, so to speak. I mean, was that night and day for you? I, it was not. Uh, it was. Remember, were you like I, this when you were a kid? I was always a very happy person, but a lot of it was being an actor and putting on this false front of who I mm-hmm. am. I, w- I just want everyone to be, I want to be very clear about this. I was just on the couch with a therapist yesterday. I get help and, and want to be a better person. Sure. And I've got a long way to go. But I believe I have today. I'm in here in front of you in this studio talking about things. And it's, this is, it's the, I, I truly believe this is the greatest show on earth. For me, is this sobriety. Oh, I see. You're sobriety. I thought you were talking about my program. Because oh, <laughs> I consider it to be the greatest show on earth. Oh, of course I, I, don't wanna, I appreciate the compliments. <laughs> this problem that we have with, uh, with pills and opioids and everything, is it getting better, worse? Has it reached a plateau? In your experience and what you see in dealing with clients and, and patients, if you want to call them that, what's your, what's your, what's your observation? I don't, I don't have a, you know, I appreciate you asking me, and, and I, don't, I don't know where I stand on the issue in terms of, is it getting better, is it getting worse? I, I don't know. But what I, if, what I want people to know and understand is that asking for help um, is probably comes the greatest strength. And for, and for me, it's, it's very, and I want others to know, it's very accessible. Because I think, especially for, I'll speak for the guys out there, and there's plenty of women that probably feel this way as well, is that asking for help is a sign of a weakness. And I can yeah, tell you that correct. in my in in and that's the way I was raised. Do not you know lace up your bootstraps and get 
charging forward at all cost. And it's not that simple. And I never met you till a few minutes ago, but feel comfortable enough where if I had something going on and if we developed a rapport, I would be asking you for it. And if you've gone through maybe what I've gone right. through, it opens right. a door to uh, for me to actually uh, ask for help with you. And so I think Obamacare helped where it provided people with you know um, afford- affordable insurance to where there are uh, treatment options for those that are interested or, or those that need it. Mm-hmm. There's also county services. We have Aspire in town, which does a beautiful job with the resources they have. We talked to have. them. Yeah. Yeah. Did you yeah. talk to them? They, yeah, and, we did. And please, they, they do with what their funding keeps getting cut back, but I'm hopeful that they'll continue to uh, get more money if that's, you know, the more we talk about this. And I believe that counties and treatment centers like the one that I work for are really doing the best job they can to try and help people. Yeah. And uh, and so that's, it's an honor to be a part of it. Good for you. You know who he looks like? Who? Jason Kreis. A he little looks bit. like the coach for the Orlando, yeah. for Orlando little, City, for yeah, the soccer do. team in town. There of. is a resemblance. If, if, you I, said you were if a, I put yeah. you hey. next to the coach and said, these two guys are related, You'd say, oh, am of course I right? Yeah. You might want to keep a little, a certain level of anonymity that you're kind of blowing out of the water right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we wish you the best of luck. You've been a you've been a great guest, and we're going to try to continue this process, you know, in this project. To, I don't know how much longer, but sure. you've been a terrific guest. Well, and we would, we pre- wish you a happy birthday. Thank and the you best so of luck. much, and I appreciate all of you talking about it because the way to to get this, you know, better is to get it out of the shadows and um and and bring it to the forefront. And you, and I, it it means a lot that you're doing this. Very good. So thank thank you, you, Graham. Happy birthday. Thanks. It's the Phillips File on Real Radio one hundred four point one.